Do you remember the first time we came here? After Greg's party? Our first public appearance as a fake couple? You were wearing a nice watch. In that little dress. And you were calling me out on all of my shit. Hello, and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast in which we watch a romantic comedy featuring a love triangle and tell you why the person who did the picking chose poorly. We convene today for an emergency episode to discuss to all the boys I have loved before, always and forever. I'm Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. And we have, not only is this an emergency bonus episode, but we also have an amazing, wonderful guest on the podcast. She's been on before, um, Nancy Coleman. Oh my God. <laughs> Samantha put her name in as my last name and it completely <laughs> fucked me up just then for a second. Um, Nancy and I have known each other for years and yet I was like Nancy Collins, my cousin. She's on anyway, Nancy Coleman. <laughs> um, she is a writer with the New York Times. She's written for a bunch of other places as well. She's very wonderful and cool. And we had her on not only because she's a wonderful, knowledgeable person of the To All the Boys I've Loved Before multiverse, but she also um, wrote a piece recently for um, the arts and culture section that interviewed she interviewed lana condor she interviewed her <laughs> also was that okay nancy was that all kosher sadie i am honored to be a member of the collins family <laughs> join us the collins clan for context listeners it truly is an emergency bonus episode because we're recording it in morning pacific time and my brain doesn't work until 1 p.m so that's why nancy and sadie are now married congratulations <laughs> Someone take this soundboard away from Samantha, especially before 10 a.m. Sadie, how nervous were you that I was going to play Sim- Slim Sadie today? Um, 10 out of 10, Samantha. Despite telling you I wouldn't. 10, 10 out of 10. <laughs> and Nancy, one question before we begin. Does your lifetime ban from all Chili's locations also apply to Chili's curbside to go? You know, I think if I like put on some sunglasses and a baseball hat, when they come to my car, I think I'll be in good shape. Yeah, you probably still have to pay in cash in case they notice your name on the credit card. Mm, excellent point. I'll be careful. I'll <laughs> proceed with caution. If they see you, they like like a sniper is on the roof just waiting for you to come. <laughs> as soon as you get your hands on that Cajun chicken pasta, it's done. It's you know, hard. I really didn't know this story was going to haunt me as much as it has. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding when I say Samantha brings it up almost every episode. <laughs> like she, like she, like before we begin or after, she somehow circles back <laughs> to you being banned from Chili's. And if you listeners want to get the full backstory on Nancy Coleman's lifetime ban from Chili's. <laughs> You could go back and listen to our bonus episode, Banned from Chili's, featuring Nancy Coleman is literally what Samantha named it, that was released on August 1st, 2020, in which we actually discussed the kissing booth too, but more importantly, Nancy's ban from Chili's. I'm just trying to make your SEO really interesting, Nancy. I love it. I love it. If this story doesn't come up, Every time someone somewhere in the world Googles me, then we're doing them a disservice. And it comforts me to know that during the pandemic, you have still been able to access chicken crispers. You know, (laughs) I'm just, (laughs) I've been losing sleep over it. 
Well, we're talking about, I, Sadie, you know the title of this movie better than me. It's like, yeah. to all boys. To all the boys the I've loved before, always <laughs> and forever, based off of the book, Always and Forever, comma, Laura Jean. That's it. Is that the pluperfect? I'm trying to figure out the tense of this movie title. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, I think we should let this Samantha really yeah, go with the summary here. She's clearly like, she's ready. She's got it. Laura Jean is a senior. Noah Centineo is also a senior. He's going to Stanford on a lacrosse scholarship. He wants her to go to Stanford so that they can, like, you know, be Stanford husband and wifey from age 18 on. And she gets denied from Stanford, doesn't tell that to Noah Centineo right away, does get into Berkeley and NYU, which are hell of a safety school choice. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then has to choose between going to Berkeley and NYU. And it's clear that Laura Jean wants to go to NYU for reasons we shall discuss slash in my case rage over during the course of this podcast uh, but Peter wants her to go to Berkeley so that they can have a bridge and tunnel BART uh, romance over there in the Bay Area and ultimately she chooses to go to NYU and Peter Kavinsky doesn't leave her for it yay and that's <laughs> the end of the trilogy <laughs> Su- huh. Summary done. That was so succinct. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I want to talk so badly about Nancy's article um, where she interviewed Lana because it was the highlight of my 2021 and I wasn't even the one who interviewed her. Um, can we talk about it really quick? Nancy, how, how was it? <laughs> First of all, that's so nice. Um, it was really fun. She is so sweet. Uh, we had a Zoom interview uh, earlier this week, she was at home in Seattle, um, and she's just so fun and outgoing. It's always weird doing like a Zoom interview with people you've seen on screen in like different roles because it really, for the first five minutes, it's like, oh my god, I'm talking to Lara Jean, and you're definitely not. <laughs> but like the voice is the same, the mannerisms are the same, so it's always weird to be like, okay, I'm not interviewing a movie character right now. I'm talking to a real human being. <laughs> But she was really sweet. She had um, her Peloton was delivered in the middle of the interview. And she instead of like pausing the interview, she just kind of like picked up her laptop and kept giving like a really beautiful, eloquent answer to my question (laughs) as she was answering the door for the Peloton delivery guy. So it was really fun. I had a good time talking with her. Did she do the second half of the interview from her Peloton? Oh my god, I wish. (laughs) Did she explain... (laughs) <laughs> how Pelotons work. <laughs> <Did she> she- <laughs> Not particularly. I think because, you know, it was literally coming in the door. I don't think she knew or knows yet either. But, you know, that would make a great follow-up for sure. My understanding is that a Peloton is an exercise bike with like a Kindle Fire taped to it. And yet it somehow costs like $10,000. Sounds about right. Yeah. That's also feels, my impression. I think it that comes with people who yell at you in real time too, right? Isn't that part of the Peloton thing? You're like oh, logged yeah. in with other people who are doing it at the same time and you have like an instructor. They're like, you're so like- crushing it today, <laughs> Jen. 
Yeah, maybe like your demons on this side. The real other people, like I think that's part of the motivation because like other people will know if you're skipping your bike workout. That's what I thought. I was, um, but I don't know. I was, I was rereading your article, Nancy, and I just think it's so cool. You know, I'm, I was struck by it the first time I read it, and then today, the second time I read it, that like. You know, I just, I think it's so wonderful how Lana is so, you know, in love with Laura Jean. Like, you know, I think that Mm -hmm. this series is so special because, you know, I definitely have my favorite and it is the first one. I think that, it you know, the first movie is always impossible to top. I can only think of one franchise that does that and it is Shrek 2. But um, other than that, true, <laughs> you know, you'd be hard pressed to find to find one that doesn't. But this series never does Laura a disservice. You know, she she never has that really cringy, she's all that makeover scene. She never has to change. And, you know, Lana touched on this a few times in in the interview as well. Like, she never changes the way that she dresses. She always dresses kind of fun and quirky and very curated, which is really wonderful to watch on screen. I feel like, you know, especially in teen movies, the outfits are so drab. And as a side note, I recently tried watching the new Winx saga and their outfits were, they weren't the, they weren't the least of my problems, but my God, they were terrible. <laughs> they were terrible. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about how you feel, how you feel about the the series ending and how it ended. Yeah, I I really thought they did her a service in the way they ended it. And and Lana kind of touched on this as well as like the first two movies were very much about, you know, all the boys and like the first one, which I agree, Sadie, the first one will always have a special one, a special place in my heart. Um, but the first one she's choosing between Josh and Peter, the second one she's choosing between Peter and John Ambrose. And this is the first one in the series where the actual conflict isn't between two boys. Like she's very set in her relationship and kind of her biggest choice and her biggest conflict in this film is like deciding what her future is going to be and what she wants to do with her life. And I really loved how we pivoted to that, especially it's, it's, I think Jenny Han tweeted something about this uh, last night. They did like a live tweet of the film, but this is coming out at such a weird time where like so many high school seniors um, and college seniors are in such a weird pandemic-y place in their life where they're having to make these decisions under such strange circumstances so it felt like very nice and escapism-y to kind of see what this looked like when they were filming it, you know, pre-pandemic and kind of see like, you actually get to go tour the campus and there's actually students everywhere. But no, just to to loop back. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed how they brought her story to an end and kind of put her in the spotlight for this one. I've got to say, I really enjoyed this movie. I think like you guys, the first one just hit so out of nowhere. And while I enjoyed the second one, it was a a step down for me personally from the first one. So I felt like this one really came up to finish it out strong. I enjoyed it a lot and I can tell that it was a great rom-com because I am a little bit allergic to saccharine sweetness on screen and watching this movie (laughs) did make my teeth ache just a little bit. But that was perfect. That's exactly how it should have been. But watching this at this time in 2021, when we would be approaching these characters' graduation date, that was bizarre to see them. I 
I kept that that kept throwing me like at the beginning they're on Soul Tower touching all the love locks and I was like oh where's your sanitizer where are your you know why you're all touching this <laughs> I know. and then the part I screamed I had the to send the girls ball. a text they went bowling and they ate baked goods in the bowling alley like without washing the their hands oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it was really interesting my husband walked in part way through and was like whoa said something to that effect and I was like yeah this is in, in an alternate non-covid universe you know, the only way I could accept it. But that was, I wanted it to be escapist. My brain is just not ready to escape yet, I guess. I don't think it takes place in a non-COVID universe. I think Peter Kavinsky kissing the bowling ball is how COVID happens. You know, it's an origin story. (laughs) Peter. (laughs) Yeah, he's um, patient zero. (laughs) I really like this one too. You know, I I was thinking back to the first two. And uh, I guess my major criticism of this one is that the happy death day kid is missing from it. Because he's my my OG <laughs> other guy of this franchise. And for whatever reason he's gone, I want him back or whatever. I forget all that. But I think the <laughs> criticism of the first two was that like Laura Jean's character wasn't really fleshed out. And like everyone was just obsessed with her, even though she appeared to have like never spoken to anyone she ever went to school with. Um, and so it's cool that this ended on a note of her coming into her own. Uh, having more of a personality, being more assertive about her own wants, needs, and desires. Unfortunately, those wants, needs, and desires appear to center around becoming an NYU girl. And we can have a conversation about that. (laughs) But at least she wants something that's not a boy in this uh, movie. And I really thought it was well made and well acted. Yeah. One thing that I found a little disappointing is I looked this up, but again, I was, it was late at night, so I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure that this one is also directed by a man. And I think it's a different guy from who directed the second one. And I just wish that they had gone back to, you know, if not um, the person, the the woman who directed the first one, then at least a woman. I think that that would have been nice you know i and it's it's fine like it's just continuing this trend of like as soon as a franchise proves itself very um popular they immediately remove the female um director and and replace her but that being said this movie was so well directed it was so beautiful like the the overhead shot of her baking in one scene i loved it it was so it was so laura jean it was so good um but yeah i I also i yeah go ahead jen oh (laughs) i was just gonna say occasionally when the characters were having conversations or something you know i would check a notification on my phone or whatever but when that baking part started i just set the phone completely literally down and watched it there were a lot of great shots like that and i feel like this movie really did build on the one of our big gripes on this podcast from the second one was that where the first movie demonstrated a lot of Lara Jean's interiority by having her kind of narrate, like we heard her inner words, her monologues while she writes this these letters. The second movie went in 
into more of this music video thing where they would show Mm -hmm. Lara Jean in these, yeah, kind of outlandish um, scenarios that apparently were happening into her head, but it was all set to other songs and you didn't really hear her speak as much, I guess, during when she was supposed to be thinking. (laughs) But this movie did a really good job, I thought, of marrying those two. And I liked that it brought some of the music video-ness of it all out to the outside where those kids are doing like the dance uh, for the promposal out on the lawn. And and it did a really great job. I enjoyed some of the little illustrated parts. Kind of like it is a super, super Lara Jean focused, which is fine. And that's perfect because this is her movie. But it sort of was more apparent, I felt, in this movie than it was in the first one. Like Samantha was saying, this girl never talks to anybody, but everybody else is obsessed with her or whatever at showing that like that's not necessarily the case, but everything in Lara Jean's world is focused around her in this third movie because this is her story, you know? I still, I felt like the other characters had lives, but we're focusing on Lara Jean just because that's what we're doing now. This is her stuff. This is her decision. But God, some of those sets and, you know, even though Peter Kavinsky unfortunately did lick the bowling ball, I like that that showing that this is like Lara Jean's view of stuff, that they're wearing these little pink and blue shoes, you know, and it's all, it's kind of, you see the world through Lara Jean's eyes the way everything is decorated and set up. Yes. I I think that this movie is so, this franchise is so earnest. Like I, I love whenever um, Laura and Peter are on screen together because they love each other. Like, I mean, it's, it's very affectionate. They plan fun little dates for each other. Um, Is it a little unrealistic for what um, teenagers are emotionally capable of, of doing? Yes. But it's so it's so wonderful and beautiful that I absolutely don't care. It's so wonderful. Boo to Peter Kavinsky, I say. And at this point, <laughs> I must ask Nancy who your favorite to all the boys love option is. Is it Peter Kavinsky? Is it the the curly haired Happy Death Day plus Happy Death Day to you, kid? Is it? <laughs> Marco, the guitar playing hunk. No, that's the kissing booth. Oh, shoot. (laughs) I did the same thing. (laughs) Wait. Did I already say Josh? Josh, John Ambrose. uh, are, Are we good, John? Ambrose. Remember, um. like they, um, oh, uh, oh, the hot older lady who dates Sarah Paulson. Remember, she was in it Holland as like Taylor. the Holland Taylor mm-hmm. was like the the lush grandma at the like super fancy retirement home, and they like played the piano. That was the other guy in the second one. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Nancy, <laughs> who is your favorite Laura Jean love option trilogy wide? Okay. So uh, overall trilogy wide, definitely Team Peter, because like Sadie said, their relationship is just adorable. They have wonderful chemistry. He's a little bit of a himbo, but we love him for it. Um, but specifically in the second movie, I I don't think I've ever watched like a love triangle plot where I was actively rooting for the one who I knew wasn't going to end up with her in the end. But mm-hmm. I really loved John Ambrose. I don't know if it's just like I'm naturally attracted to guys who can play the piano really well and I fully accept that fact (laughs) Um, but I just thought he was so endearing and just really quietly sweet and funny and I thought their like origin meet cute when we like flashed back to young Lara Jean and young John Ambrose was really cute 
I don't know what it was, but just kind of a combination of everything we learned about him. In the second one, I really was rooting for him, which I felt like I was kind of like betraying my team Peterness of the first movie. But yeah, overall, if like if I have to pick one, Peter all the way. Yeah. Never fear, she will meet John Ambrose at NYU. He will one hundred percent be there. He will come out as bisexual there. He will, you know, have a great life in New York City with Laura Jean. <laughs> there is a guy in Washington Square Park, which is right by NYU slash part of NYU, unclear, but he rolls out a grand piano every day and just kind of plays all day. And John Ambrose is going to be that oh, guy. Oh God, yeah. Laura Jean will just be like walking along through there and like, oh, John Ambrose playing this grand piano outside. Like the, that is so something that would happen to Laura Exactly. Jean. So Nancy, <laughs> you, um, you, uh, you're a New York resident, a Manhattan resident. Were you a little um, <laughs> miffed by the the way that New York was presented in this movie? <laughs> I thought it was fun, and and I'll and I'll say this because. I'm obviously I'm not a native New Yorker and that like magical kind of feeling of visiting for the first time. It's like, I get it. (laughs) I've been there and the city definitely has like a really surreal quality when you're there for the first time. So like being teenagers on your senior trip, running around, freaking out about Times Square. I get it. I, I don't mind that part. Also, I had no idea about this until I was looking at the tweets last night. Apparently, it seems like they lit up the Empire State Building pink and teal for the filming of this movie, which like I had no idea Netflix had that much power. Holy shit. I figured they just did that in post. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jenny Han tweeted a picture about it where they were like all taking pictures from this rooftop wherever they had filmed this party scene. And like, oh my God, that takes a lot of... A lot the of power influence. of I don't this know. I don't even... franchise. <laughs> right. I don't know how you begin to do that. Is there like an online application somewhere? Like, how do you contact the Empire State Building people? I do not know. They were active and willing participants in this propaganda piece. This movie <laughs> is NYU propaganda. It disturbs me. I was watching on Twitter a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, uh, worn, tired, weary millennials. Uh, laugh at the portrayal of like that first time New York City magic in this movie and then I was seeing so many um, very young people tweeting about this saying oh this hurts my heart this really pains me to say they were saying this movie makes them want to go to NYU so bad (laughs) and I'm like no the propaganda is working this is gonna spawn a whole new sex in the city generation of people who moved to New York City (laughs) expecting this romantic fantasy and like end up living in in shoe closets like you know Samantha we're just embittered as millennials because we got sold on the New York fantasy by you've got mail and then had to discover mm. that that's not that we're not going to get to own our charmingly lit twee bookstores and then quit to become children's book writers while still living in that apartment that Meg Ryan lives in. Samantha, can you explain <laughs> your dislike of NYU? I'd love to hear it. Oh. As someone who also kind of oh. dislikes NYU. <laughs> 
I mean, I think it's well known in New York City circles, which unfortunately intersects with media circles that um, uh, that NYU people are a specific type. I don't know, uh, precocious, uh, showy, um, and, and you know, occupying a large sector of Manhattan, perhaps too large a sector of Manhattan that you know, also intersects with people just trying to go about their daily lives instead of like, you know, encountering a couch on the subway, you know. Oh, so you're uh, saying like too many annoy me. <laughs> too many main characters attend NYU all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's what we're getting here. <laughs> way to put it. <laughs> I will say if someone brought a giant couch on the subway when I was trying to get somewhere, I would be enraged. <laughs> Just, just get a rent a U-Haul. You can drive around New York. Yeah, it's anyway. actually less scary than you would think. <laughs> I myself have driven in New York several times. And while it was a little bit intimidating to me, it is like a three on the scale of 27 that is driving in Memphis. So live your dream, kids. Oh, rent really? a U-Haul in New York. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I imagine that maybe as someone who has never been to New York, I imagine that maybe it's just like parking is so expensive that not a whole lot of people have cars. So maybe it's a little less. That's why you got to rent the U-Haul and you will have to fight with somebody on the street about like when you're parking the U-Haul and loading and unloading it. But I would think that you would still probably draw less hostility doing that than you would taking that couch on the subway. <laughs> yeah. I, always, I just wish I, I don't fault this, um, but I, I don't fault this movie, but it always really annoys me how they're always choosing between these Ivy League schools, like all the time. And I get that that's because, you know, it's like everyone knows these schools, they know where they are, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's so unrealistic to be choosing between Stanford, UC Berkeley, and NYU. Like, I couldn't even afford to apply to NYU. My parents were like, they wouldn't let me apply. <laughs> I was like, I just want to see if I can get in. And they were like, um, for like 130 bucks? No, you're not. <laughs> oh, that's the best thing your parents have ever done for you. You You should thank them every day that they stopped you. Yeah, they were like in-state schools only. Yeah, I'm Tennessee State School right here and no regrets. But yeah, because if you pay. Wow, are we all state state school school school, people? We're all state school people. That's why we're good. (laughs) 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 That's why we're good people, all of us. I didn't want to get my New York um, bias, you know, like flowing through my veins again, because (laughs) it is, frankly, I will confide in you, podcast co-hosts, I wrote a book called Real Queer America, in which I do some mockery of New York City, perhaps, (laughs) of, you know, um, or at least of the way in which people see it as like the exclusive center of like culture and meaning in this country. And I may have gone a little overboard and, and that may be the number one critique of my book on certain book reviewing websites <laughs> is that I'm too uh, mad about New York City. And I was trying to be better about it for low these past three years. And then uh, to all the boys, I've loved 
comes out and just it puts me right back in that place emotionally. <laughs> oh my goodness. How starry-eyed she gets. And then she's like, no, I don't want to live in some backwater like the Bay Area. Oh my God. <laughs> I need so, to be where it's all happening, where where waif-like white girls sing rock on rooftops, you know? Like, that's where, that's what's it right now. So Samantha's other guy for this installment is Berkeley. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Absolutely. I mean, if she can afford to live in the Bay Area over New York any day of the week, yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't understand the logistics of, of NYU. Like, you know, live, going to Mizzou, right? It was like I could go and have sushi afterward and I could go to like I could grab like dinner and I could go to Ulta and whatever like I I was free as a bird living my best life at Mizzou um, in the heart of Missouri but I couldn't imagine going to NYU and actually being able to enjoy what New York has to offer because I would be broke within the week and I, I'm sure that Laura Jean is just like incredibly rich judging by her house and also by the fact that her dad is like a hotshot doctor. Oh my God. I've got to say, I started gasping at the beginning of the movie because the I was actually glad my other guy for this particular installment of the series is Soul. I think Laura Jean should learn how to speak Korean mm. and get the fuck over there and get in touch with her mom's country because it made me so I um that's where my brother and sister-in-law live. And when they went to Namsan Tower at the beginning with the locks, we went there when we were over there for their wedding in 2017 and it made me all like get all emotional at the beginning you know of this movie but that was that was amazing i'm really glad that soul got its new york moment at the beginning of this film but holy shit those places that they were like their interiors they were staying in while they were in seoul i was like this gynecologist daddy like brings in the books that part where they were in the indoor pool like that they had oh, all to yeah. themselves with the huge like floor to ceiling glass windows overlooking the nightlit city and when laura jean is like in this incredible amazing room by herself talking to peter kavinsky like with her own like personal king-size bed holy shit <laughs> so yeah i think that that daddy john corbett can afford nyu probably <laughs> Just based on that. Nancy, what is your life in New York like? Are you just on rooftops every night, laughing on the subway <laughs> with seven of your best friends as you pull off hilarious antics? So here's the funny part. Uh, no, but, but also... <laughs> So I at the end, so I was in New York for about a year for my fellowship at the Times and after that it was like the height of the pandemic there I was unemployed for about a month and I was like you know what I'm just going to move back home in this pandemic because I, I'll be honest New York rent is far too steep uh to be paying A without a job and B when the city is all shut down um, so I'm actually back home in St. Louis <laughs> and no, we are not partying on rooftops here either. <laughs> no one should be partying on rooftops in February, 2021. Let's just all get that straight right now. <laughs> and yeah. any place. I also have like, <laughs> I also have two very irrational fears, which one is heights. And the second is uh, being stuck and like locked on top of a rooftop. So I don't know if I ever went on a rooftop <laughs> when I was living there either. 
for that no, reason. Absolutely like I lived, valid. I lived on the top floor of my apartment building. And so there were stairs that went up to the roof. And I did not go up there once um, because I was just terrified of getting locked up there. And it's a good thing I didn't because about halfway through the year, there was the loudest alarm I have ever heard. And apparently it's because someone in my building tried to go up onto the roof. Apparently that door has had an alarm on it this whole time. And they set off this alarm that our landlord would not turn off. Oh, shit. Um, And it was like hours and hours of this alarm going off right above our heads. It was awful. So yeah, not a fan of rooftops. I do not endorse... It was a nightmare. That's my like, that's my truth. I like your landlord being like, "No, I won't shut it off. I want to learn your <laughs> Let them learn the rooftop. <laughs> Let them suffer." <laughs> Nancy, if you do not like heights, though, do not visit North Seoul Tower when you next go to Seoul because actually <laughs> while we were up there around the beautiful love locks and overlooking the city, two separate members of our party independently started having panic attacks from the height and being able to feel yourself oh sway in the wind up there. And so we had to go wait in a line for the elevators to go back down. So no. just saying that is really, 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 really tall. <laughs> I have been up in the St. Louis arch once in my life. I was six years old, so I obviously didn't have a choice. And that thing sways like nowhere else I've ever been. It is awful. Like I love St. Louis. It's terrifying. (laughs) It feels like you're (laughs) billowing in the wind. Having only been to St. Louis once, how do you get up there? Oh my God, Samantha, there are the tiniest, most claustrophobia inducing elevators. They're like these little pods. You sit in a circle. It's like a little circle of maybe six chairs. And you just kind of slowly go up and over um, to the top. And it's the same way down. Okay, wait. Hang it's on. terrible. My understanding is the elevators go up, up, and down. And uh, it's too early for my brain to get there. You just like go <laughs> up arch. as far. Yeah, because it's arched. So the elevator yeah, doesn't the move like in does a curve. Not have- it just goes up so far. And then you have to take the stairs after that. Is that what? You know. <laughs> I, I don't think so. And like total grain of salt, because again, I was six years old. So I only remember being scared to death. I thought um, it But followed... I think it... Go yeah, ahead, Nancy. Sadie, I think it... No, 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 I think it does follow a little bit of the shape of the arch. Yeah. And you get off and you're like pretty much at the top. Whoa. So it's like yeah, a I think it follows like a, a track on the top. So like, are you... I feel like you're like dangling kind of. So it kind of follows the arch a little bit. Um. So is it like a... It's like a bunicula or whatever? Or no, that's... <laughs> it's <a> vampire <laughs> rabbit. Uh, uh, a funicular, a funicular, is that it? You know, there's some word for like, it's an elevator, but it goes diagonally. I'm going to figure this out. This is very important. <laughs> Carry on. Well, all I know is, yes, Nancy, the arch was terrifying. I feel like they need to add some stabilizers. It shouldn't be moving around that much at the top. Yeah, absolutely agreed. It also doesn't help. I I'm like a I'm a huge fan of the Percy Jackson books. I've read them like every year since I was 11 and there's a scene in the first Percy Jackson book where Percy goes up in the arch with this monster lady who her chihuahua turns into this like fire breathing thing and they blow a hole in the arch and the only way he can get out is to jump from the arch into the Mississippi River. Oh, shit. And I think that's 
also scarred me from going up there ever again. Um, so yeah, bad, bad history with the, the landmarks in this town. Otherwise, it's great. Highly recommend. <laughs> so there's our, um, our alternate propaganda for Mizzou, as opposed to how NYU is presented in this film. Um, you can go to Alton, get sushi, do not visit the top of the arch. And there you have it. <laughs> I think it is technically, they call it a tram, but I think it's technically an internal funicular, Funicular. which sounds like something you don't want your doctor to tell you you have, (laughs) but is in fact an elevator that is like suspended from a cable and can travel in different directions than just straight up and down. Mm. I feel like it also sounds like one of those traveling carnival rides that they like assemble the day of. So you never want to think about that if you get on one of them. Just looking at this arch, you guys, I'm, I think you should talk to somebody in St. Louis about this. This does not look like a structure <laughs> that's designed to stand up. <laughs> I feel like this could just <laughs> flop on its side at any moment. So have you, have you, know, you seen uh, yeah, it? Yeah, it's a little that? concerning architecturally. I've seen it in person and now I'm looking at photos of it. And I I guess maybe that's the magic of the arch shape, right? Is that it looks precarious, but the keystone keeps it strong. Uh, and we are way <laughs> off, <laughs> off topic now. <laughs> Let's find our way back to Laura Jean and the boys. I do have one criticism of this movie that I feel like we should go ahead and get out of the way because then I'm ready to praise it after that. In this one, Noah Centineo looks like a grown-ass man. So sometimes, like occasionally that was a little creepy because Lana Condor can still play a little younger. And particularly the scene where Christine and... Uh, Laura Jean come out in their prom dresses and Noah Centineo and Ross Butler are staring at them. I definitely felt like that was two 25 year olds being like, oh yeah, our teen prom dates. And that took me out of the moment just a little bit. But (laughs) he cannot help being handsome and grown looking when he is handsome and grown, I suppose. And he did a great job of acting the character. I will give him that. What's so crazy to me, (laughs) they they definitely, so they filmed the second and third movies back to back. Yeah. So they filmed that's how I this one a while. That was already ago. done. Yeah. Yes. But Anna Cathcart, who plays Kitty, Lara Jean's younger sister, is 17. What? Which is wild to me. Right? Because that's how wow. old Laura Jean's, Jean's character to be. is supposed to be. And and Lana Condor is 23. So like it makes sense that they've kind of shifted all all their ages a little bit. But that's just I like just have her frozen at like 13. Yeah. But she's 17. Wow. Which is so I de- okay, so she could definitely like age down to play younger too. Cause yeah, or maybe it's just maybe she would be a completely believable 17 to me in another context, but seeing mm-hmm. her next to like 23 year olds and up who are supposed to be the 17 year olds, it kind of shifts everything weirdly. The <laughs> is Noah Centineo 40? <laughs> A handsome I 40. Think he's my age, 24. <laughs> okay, see, he's like 24, but I could believe him as 27. Whereas, like, looking at Lana Condor, I definitely thought she was like 23. Whose voice does he remind me of? He has a voice alike that I could not put my finger on or my ears on for mm. the course of this entire trilogy. But he- I mean, face wise, I don't know if we've talked about this before. He could absolutely and should be playing Mark Ruffalo. Son, oh yeah, in something, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, he might have a Ruffaloian voice, uh, which is an adjective I promise to never use again. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> 
He certainly has a Ruffaloian face and hair. Mark Ruffalo should have played his dad in this movie, probably. Cast Noah Centineo in the Zodiac prequel is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> the only Mark Ruffalo film I acknowledge. I will take a Sadie-esque opportunity to say goodbye to the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mark Ruffalo's <laughs> career ended with Zodiac. <laughs> He never did anything else after that. Zodiac was the peak. So that that tracks. And maybe he should have just been in Zodiac because they try to like age Mark Ruffalo's character like 15 years in that movie. And like, it doesn't work at the end. It just he just looks like a young man wearing like, you know, slightly, a slightly grayer wig or something like that. And they should have just started him at Noah Centineo in that movie. And then by the end of the Zodiac investigation, he can be Mark Ruffalo. I like how that kid who was playing uh, Peter Kavinsky in the meet cute flashback, like really didn't look anything like Noah Centineo, but he was just like embodying the spirit of like, I'm the cool jock kid at this school. My name yeah. is Peter Kavinsky. Like, <laughs> I felt that too. He, he, he doesn't have it in looks, but he had it in vibes. And that was perfect. I also yeah. loved, um, I love that the the girl who plays um, Claudia from the Babysitter's Club plays um, Lana Condor's character in it because she's perfect. She's perfect as a young Laura. Yes. I was just about to bring that up. She's yes. so, so good. Also, I love the Babysitter's Club show just throwing Obsessed. that out there i thought that was a delight we we Guys, talked about time. the babysitter's I club finally gotta the, watch it. yeah in like the last episode or the episode before we talked about the babysitter's club for like 15 minutes <laughs> it's so amazing it's, it's perfect and i actually think that it is the perfect chaser to the to all the boys i've loved before franchise because it, I mean, obviously it's different. It's not really like, it's not a romance and it's like for younger kids, but it has that really sweet, but whole, but like not like disingenuous sweet. It's just perfect. It's, it's so wonderful. Can we talk about Peter Kavinsky's dad? Uh, yes. A bit while we're bringing up side characters he is played by a man who i have only seen in horror movies and television shows so <laughs> it was very alarming to see him because sometimes you cast people in horror franchises who have a certain look to them i'm not saying he looks horrific but that his face is interesting in a way that plays well when he's supposed to be a character who is either menacing or afraid depending on how he's cast in these things like and um yeah if they had just played like eerie music instead of kind of like sad slash heartwarming music over that diner scene with peter kavinsky and the dad you would have easily been convinced that the dad was gonna murder him (laughs) (laughs) could have but that's just on the dad's face like not necessarily the performance he was giving he just has the eyes of like a murderer if you if you accompany it with music (laughs) he also i'm just gonna throw in as a fun factoid he was the kid in et he was elliot what the dad was yeah holy shit yeah that he's which was probably because he's got this big like 40 years ago haunted looking eyes you know 
He's seen things. He knows about other life that's out there and has to, like, God, no wonder he ran out on Peter Kavinsky as a kid. He was still trying to process everything that had happened in his own childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jed, in your, in your head, he is in the movie also, like, he's playing himself. He is uh, Henry Thomas, who has changed his name to Kavinsky to escape, like, E.T. fans or something. Yeah. And then he realized that, like, he couldn't, he needed to handle his trauma or whatever but also probably the government was after him because you notice he never really did explain why he left he said that he screwed up I thought there was going to be some uh, something mentioned about how like he was sober now or like some sort of explanation for like why but the reason he couldn't try hard to be Peter Kavinsky's dad is because he was like once again in the witness protection program because some government (laughs) agency was after him because of his knowledge about the aliens he's like (laughs) my new family doesn't know I was in E.T. Peter, so when you meet them, <laughs> don't say anything. They think I'm just an auto insurance salesman. Yes. And the other side character I wanted to bring up was the the blonde-haired friend who is clearly gay. And Oh, uh, my OTP from yeah. these movies is Christine and Jen. They are the ones who really need to get together. They have an enemies to lovers thing, like set wait, up wait, so clearly. Wait, 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 Jen, they're cousins. Whoa, in, damn it, wait, really? in real life? <laughs> in the... No, no, the characters are cousins. Oh, huh? that sucks. Fuck. In the books, or did we get some Was that in the movie? In the movie, in the, in the first trilogy. movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, we got that in the first movie. Well, those so gonna, actors need I'm to just, just stop, you stop right vibing with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that one's right out the window now. Ugh. Well, the actors are clearly not cousins because they have like some weird spark that seemed like it needed to get acted <laughs> on. And I now retract that now that I know that their characters are canonically uh, blood related. Yeah, we're not advocating for incestual um, queer love on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Only regular queer love. (laughs) Although if you're playing along with Lindsay's bingo card at home, we just inadvertently checked off. Oh, incest. We're back. It's been a while since we've circled around to incest, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we always find our way back. <laughs> Damn, they had to go so and be cousins on me. Fuck. Is everyone happy with Peter Kavinsky? Are we all happy with this outcome? Let's talk about their relationship a little bit. I Okay, so my personal thing is... Like, I think that Peter is such an understanding person, which is what I love about him as a rom-com hero, um, love interest. Like, you know, the scene where she tells him, you know, that she, that she'd accidentally lied to him about getting into Stanford and his first thing was he asked her if she was okay. Um, and I think that, you know, some of his misunderstandings where he's like, Oh yeah, like NYU's fine for the first year. Like it'll be easy to transfer back. Like that's just I don't think that that was him kind of bulldozing her feelings, but more so just kind of he thought that they had an understanding like that they both wanted to be in the same school. And so it was just him automatically assuming. Um, But I think that he is so wonderful as as a supporting guy. But I on the flip side, if we wanted to talk about like actual real love interests and not like 
like educational institutions as other guys. I think that John Ambrose would have also been so wonderful and supportive. So yeah, I mean, I have to cop out and join Nancy and say that Peter is is my overall favorite. But that's not to say that John Ambrose wouldn't have been wonderful. Yeah, I'm team Berkeley and uh, team Josh. That's <laughs> team Josh. My final determination. Gonna go all the way back to Josh. Yeah, gotta go. Well, with Josh. To, what brought you to Team Josh? Happy Death Day. I, <laughs> I was talking a little bit about this on the last podcast, but I like imperfect characters, maybe, or just like characters where you can grab onto something about their personality. And uh, Peter Kavinsky. Uh, is part of this school of just like perfect smooth river rocks who's just like his his only crime is caring too much you know it's like those people in job interviews who you ask them their greatest weakness and they're like sometimes I work too hard it's just like he's (laughs) he's too like I don't know you know like anytime Laura Jean is down he's like Come here, Covey. And he's he's got some like twinkle lights set up with strawberry waffles waiting for her outside. <laughs> and it's like, no, sometimes this girl is just gonna be sad and you're not gonna have like the magic solution to it, like waiting in your back pocket because you're a wizard who's anticipated like everything that could go wrong. He kind of is life. a wizard. Like again, my <laughs> spouse wandered through the room and pointed that out at the part where um after uh, the adults, after the wedding, you know, and he had like, he had the yearbook set up with the message. Justin was like, I think this proves that he's a phantom because he can hear how fast she reads in her head. And where was he hiding in that tent? <laughs> he just appears at exactly the right moment behind her. So maybe Peter Kavinsky was a ghost all along. He inherited it from his E.T. related <laughs> father. Exactly. <laughs> Son of E.T. It should have been the subtitle of <laughs> <laughs> this third one with no explanation the daughter of a gynecologist devotees. the son of et a gynecologist slash former woodworker this is um <laughs> he's good with his hands. other guys the dad <laughs> is who D- carrie bradshaw definitely should have ended up with in, yeah he was kind of he Sex really has a a huge role in the pantheon of other guys like wow again i love this movie's flashbacks or like not flashbacks like little homages or whatever of course they've got him cast as the dad of course he's a gynecologist like hearkening to the 10 things i hate about you dad but way less neurotic and that actor is apparently like if there is a media project designed to convince young women to move to new york city <laughs> and pursue an unrealistic <laughs> lifestyle i'm in I where do i sign <laughs> <laughs> he's given his agent a standing order to just say yes to any New York propaganda. I was um I was watching this movie last night with my with my roommate Hannah and we were we were talking about how we were such like midwesterner homebodies. Like I was saying like I was like if I had to choose between a school that was closer to where I grew up and where I knew people I would absolutely choose that place as opposed to a place that I just went to and I maybe liked a little more, but I knew less people and it was further away from home. Absolutely not. Like even if it was my dream school, 
it's not my dream school because it would be far away from the people that I know. <laughs> like, Laura Jean really, she just went to New York and she was like, I choose vibes. And that I choose that's vibes. Where she yeah. Went. yeah, this is the danger with your generation, Nancy and Sadie, is you're going to make early life choices just based off vibes, you know? Usually, <laughs> you escaped by going to your state school. Yeah. But the vibes are so seductive. Truly, state schools are good for the soul. If we have any uh, young listeners out there, just take it from us who are podcasting on a Saturday morning. Go to a state school. Listen, yeah. My thing is, my thing is, I like, I loved going to Mizzou. It was on, like, it was in a downtown urban campus. So there was stuff to do. And like, at the end of the day, you are just going to dislike college overall like you are just going to hate the classes sometimes and it's going to be stressful no matter what so you might and you're going to find your community regardless I feel like they're you know make sure that it has like a queer center there if you are queer see if it has like women's centers see if it has clubs that you're interested in you're gonna find your people regardless of where you are so you might as well save some money and and not go to a ridiculously expensive school. Dude, it's and all about the money. Do not take yeah. on like horrible amounts of debt if you can help it, unless Biden actually does forgive debt, which I really don't think he is going to do now that he's gotten elected. So think about your wallet. No. Queer people he's are everywhere do, uh, and like, will embrace you. For every $5 you spend on tuition, you'll get 50 cents back. Like it's going to be some <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Unless. your parents are as rich as dr covey apparently is in which case do whatever you want follow your vibes yeah even then though just the thought of that money (laughs) going i don't know (laughs) uh... if she'd gone to berkeley samantha could be more forgiving but since she chose nyu I, I, I just have to ask, as someone who did not apply to any Ivy League schools, what are the chances that you would get into NYU and and Berkeley, but you would not get into Stanford? I thought that was I a little weird. NYU I was glad. was also very selective. Yeah, that they at least had the characters address that with Peter being like, what? But you're way smarter than me. And she's like, yeah. Oh, I mean, not like that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, he must be like really good at lacrosse, which is better than going to Harvard to major in fights like the guy from the kissing booth. <laughs> I mean, lacrosse is essentially like glorified like coordinated fights, fights, right? Fighting with a net in your hand. I don't understand how lacrosse is played. Did they toss the balls around in the little butterfly nets? Mm, <laughs> there I, was too long like of a silence hockey, there. <laughs> but your boys. Right? Or wait, are we talking about lacrosse? lacrosse I'm trying to look at the Stanford. We're trying to figure out what lacrosse is. Um, (laughs) I, um, my school, the two biggest sports were football and lacrosse. Um, so like when I was in high school, there would just be at least two guys in every class who would carry those big ass lacrosse sticks to school into their (laughs) classes, even though they didn't have to, but they just wanted to let people know that they were on the lacrosse team. Um, that's like carrying around a tuba or something because you're in band yeah like that seems like that level of dorkiness to me but I grew up in a state where lacrosse is not a thing at all I actually learned about lacrosse from Archie comics which Archie on Riverdale of today could probably teach us something about the highs and lows of high school lacrosse culture (laughs) (laughs) Jen stop throwing Riverdale references to the zoomers such pandering (laughs) 
look, I am millennial as fuck, and I grew up on the Archie comics, and therefore have watched Riverdale. However, I also grew up on the Babysitter's Club, but I still have not watched BSC because I'm afraid it will make me feel feelings and cry. And that's why I am a co-host of a romance podcast. (laughs) I was obsessed with the Archie comics when I was young, and so... I'm still very bitter about Riverdale existing, even though I have watched the first two seasons. And I started the third, but I couldn't <laughs> do it emotionally. It kind of went off the rails in the third. I, Nancy, I was I was looking up the acceptance rates for Stanford, which is 4%, NYU 16%, and then Mizzou is 80%. Yeah. M-I-Z. Hell yeah. Baby. NYU lets in a lot of, uh, a lot of riffraff. No, I mean... <laughs> The deal is, is like the idea that like low acceptance rates correlates to like something is like um, a myth on par with like standardized testing. Like as with any institution that is like supposedly an elite institution, it's like so many people are just ferried into them on the backs of like wealth and privilege that like you can go to an Ivy League school and they're they're not all going to be super geniuses you know and so i buck against the idea that uh that that it means anything if you only let in two percent of people because it just means you're you're gonna have a bunch of trust fund babies who like (laughs) have never written an essay before trust fund babies who are surprised that people who went to state schools can like formulate thoughts and speak in words Uh, yes (laughs) (laughs) they're like how how are you doing this Um, yeah. Inspirational. As someone who spent way too much time in higher education, my favorite school I've ever attended out of Brigham Young University, uh, uh, New Jersey Community College, Rutgers University, and Emory University. My favorite was the community college because the professors there like actually um, like wanted to teach you. Like, <laughs> like it was almost like it was their job to teach you. And uh, the more elite the institution you've gone to, and Emory sort of aspired to be a Southern Ivy, um, the less time professors actually the less professors actually like give a shit about you and the more they're just like trying to publish their next article or book so that they don't get um like you know shifted to the bottom of their own internal departmental political ladder higher education rant over i will say for emory that once i visited samantha after she had graduated to see her do a reading of real queer america at emory and we went for a walk and then it started like pouring fucking rain while we had no umbrellas or anything because apparently we also live in a romantic comedy a romantic friendship comedy and we saw the biggest fucking snapping turtle like that thing must have been like it was definitely well upwards over a hundred pounds it was incredible so like a truly like like, dinosaur yeah an amazing snapping turtle lives at emory if that's important to you maybe you should consider attending there and like we looked it up and they like come out for walks like every like 12 years or something like the thing had like a bunch of dirt on its back right or something yeah it, was, it had been it like had definitely been for a long and time and then i felt bad because obviously we had to take a picture of it but it was so irritated with us it was like please no photos like so we pissed off the huge <laughs> snapping turtle my also, other guy is that turtle distance. that's like an ultimate other guy are there any movies at mizzou nancy and sadie 
Are there any movies that take place at, at Mizzou or uh, with characters anxiously deciding whether they should go to Kansas State or, or Mizzou? <laughs> well, uh, Gone Girl, the murdery one, is in Missouri. <laughs> I mean, so we have that going start. for us. <laughs> There's also the movie You're Next, <laughs> the slasher film. <laughs> from 2011 that's set in in columbia damn we've just got east tennessee we have the very first like the super low budget one before they even remade it for evil dead 2 but the first evil dead is it was filmed at a cabin in morristown that's about 40 minutes from where i live so that's ours (laughs) i feel like at mizzou there should be a movie like a rom-com or like a coming of age thing or something set like when would this be in like the late 80s or very early 90s when brad pitt was also attending Mizzou before he dropped out. And so he's like not the point of the movie, but he's just like a random background character himbo who pops in and out sometimes. And it's like Brad Pitt, but obviously a younger actor plays Brad Pitt for, you know. I love it. (laughs) Sold. No, let's make a movie about Brad Pitt at Mizzou called uh, Brad Quits. (laughs) (laughs) I... It's my really thing about, about the University of Missouri. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite thing about graduating from the J school is not um, having graduated and having survived, but that I made it when Brad Pitt did. <laughs> yeah, you did what Brad Pitt couldn't do. And if you go on to have a successful marriage, you'll also do something else that Brad Pitt couldn't do. Oh, you know, oh. If you, <laughs> oh, I almost spat my drink. <laughs> If you act in a local theater production with uh, semi-moderate talent, you'll also do something that Brad Pitt could do, which is convincingly portray another human person. Um, this is just um, a, a brief a brief sojourn. But um, did you see that there's going to be a new Mr. and Mrs. Spith starring Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge? Speaking of Brad Pitt. What? Nancy Thoughts. Okay, oh they're both really great actors and like I like to see them in things but the whole thing about the Brad Pitt Angelina Jolie Mr. and Mrs. Smith was that scene where they're fight fucking and destroy the house and and maybe I I hope they prove me wrong but I am just like whoa it trying to envision Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge right now in that moment yeah Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge are gonna get married because I'd be very on board for that he's already married isn't he oh tragic (laughs) I know that my um my timeline on my on Twitter right now is very anti this movie because they don't think that they could have any chemistry, but I myself am very intrigued. I think that Phoebe especially would be good in this movie because she already brings like kind of maybe could be a killer in, in a flea bag. So I think that she could definitely embody this energy and like we were all like a priest like an alcohol slightly alcoholic priest as a love interest when fleabag season two started and then we were like yes so i will reserve judgment until i see this i disapprove uh (laughs) knowing nothing about it besides the title the actors and that it's an adaptation of a 
semi-okay action movie from like 15 years ago. Yeah, it's a hard pass for me. Wake me up when there's a new idea in Hollywood, which I suppose means I will sleep forever. (laughs) Never-ending torpor. Which I welcome, honestly. (laughs) As mentioned frequently on this podcast, I I crave obliteration. (laughs) And, And every day I wake up and I see like they're making a movie about the game Mad Libs starring, you know, Seth Rogen and... Oh, they're they're doing one of Uno right now. If that that I saw on Twitter was to be believed, actually. It's supposed to be like set in Atlanta. (laughs) Anyway, Samantha craves obliteration. Does John play the reverse card, you know? One, because she's a Capricorn and that's just kind of your all state sometimes is like fatalism. But two, Samantha just lived for way too long already when we recorded our Groundhog's Day episode and apparently she was trapped for like an eternal number of cycles and Sadie and I have no memory of it so don't mind her <laughs> we will all Ignore keep her. on She's, keeping on she... <laughs> oh no it's gonna feature rapper Little Yachty in a lead role it's Ooh, what true is? oh man I'm so glad oh, you have delivered that news to the, you the Una movie oh remember when they did oh. Battleship and Rihanna was in it I never watched that one but I knew it yes. happened yes my dad loves that movie. <laughs> um, Shout out no, to Sadie's dad. Just, to bring it back to, to all the boys, I just realized that I'm actually incredibly sad because I, it's been since, like, I mean, it's been years since like we, the first one came out and it was like the talk of the town. Like I remember walking into the women's center Um, at Mizzou, which was my job at the time. Everyone was talking about it. They were playing it on the big TV in the center. It was like the biggest thing. And then it was announced that a sequel was coming out. And then there was anticipation for the sequel. And then the third one was confirmed. And then now what? Like I finished it. and, And it used to be that there was To All the Boys I've Loved Before, great franchise based off of a wonderful series, wonderful acting. And then there was The Kissing Booth, which was, you know, The Kissing Booth. And so it was kind of like duality <laughs> of man, yin and yang on Netflix. Like one would come out and it would be like, ah, oh. and then the other one would come out and it'd be like, ah, oh, this is great. And then now To All the Boys is done, but The Kissing Booth is continuing. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. They still have. Have it the like weekend at Bernie's Dick and Morty through that. The yeah. orbit of our planet is like gonna be affected by that. That will usher in the apocalypse. The, the Kissing Booth 3 <laughs> is gonna come out and there won't be a To All the Boys movie. Uh oh. And, and on the one hand, Ooh, I wanna I'm, see like. Yeah, go ahead, Nancy. Oh, sorry. I wanna see to fill that void a, a, like a Netflix spinoff that's just Lara Jean baking videos. Oh. Just like Lara Jean's yes. baking YouTube channel. Yeah. Baking shots they didn't use. That's what I want. Like, Just like her own little dessert vlog. Oh my god, with the costumes and the way it's shot from, yes. I don't even really like sweet baked goods very much but I would watch the shit out of that. Like, how soothing would that be? It would just be so satisfying. You heard it here first. CD, I think that I agree with you. This might be like the highest quality teen Netflix offering of many of the last five years. And it pains me to think of what will happen now that it's going away. I can't think of um, one that was better. And I think part of the reason is number one, Lana Condor. Number two, 
the chemistry that she has with Noah Centineo in these movies. Number three, the groundwork that the um, first director laid out in terms of the cinematography, the color palette, the vibe of the movie, um, the amazing soundtracks of all the movies, especially the first one, which is my all-time favorite. And I don't know if I mentioned this before, but also the the book series that it's based off of, which like, you know, that means that Netflix didn't have the chance to really go off the rails because they had this wonderful roadmap to go off of so unless they have all of those types of elements again i don't think that we're gonna get one as good as tat bilb again i really love this one now now that you guys put the kissing booth back in my mind also like in as a direct comparison like circling back around to sort of what we thought of this movie or if we are pro peter and we think she should have stayed with peter and stuff like this particular type of movie is not like particularly like my ultimate thing but watching this i wish so much that i had had this movie at 14 instead of like Mm. other than 10 things i hate about you which of course is like a rare golden beautiful shining star you know like just the messages we got as teens in the late 90s and early 2000s were almost universally terrible and then I proceeded to make absolutely terrible romantic decisions on my way out of high school that I would definitely have done differently if you know I traveled back in time and was stuck in a teenage body in like a horrifying you know horror film (laughs) but this is like so I kind of watching this I was like well is it realistic not necessarily but do I think that like I love this for the youth I want them to see it I think it was great I think it did a great job balancing the romance and the important parts of making your own decisions and kind of how it you know I think it was good Nancy who from the kissing booth three are you gonna get to interview in the hallowed pages of the New York Times <gasps> hopefully Jerry's still out but you you all will be the first to know dead Jacob Alordi who is being weekend at Bernie's through the press tour as Sadie has already <laughs> predicted will happen. That's my bet. <laughs> I I just think it's so funny, Nancy, when you texted um, our group chat and you were like, I can't remember what it was specifically, but you were just like, LOL, during our interview, Lana Condor had her Peloton bike delivered. And we were like, Lana Condor interview Peloton <laughs> bike? <laughs> It was so much, it was so much to to digest in one sentence. (laughs) Lana Condor is just a great name too. Like, what a powerful. God, she Mm -hmm. could be like an action hero in Birds of Prey too, just because her last name is Condor. (laughs) As herself, like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. Lana Condor joins the team. <laughs> they all think she's got like bird like bird powers. Well, like, she's probably she can, I don't know. She's gonna have like really strong quads from her Peloton, so she'll be able to run really fast and lift things. True. Nancy, is she Peloton training because her forthcoming Netflix project Shrouded in Mystery is going to be a reboot of the Born Identity starring, <gasps> you know, a twenty five year old Lana Condor? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> We talked like briefly, it was like right after the Peloton was delivered and she was like back up in her little like Zoom space and she was talking about how she just like wanted to exercise without knowing that she was exercising. Like you get to sit and then your legs kind of move. And I was like, wow, that is deeply relatable. (laughs) Uh, So don't know how that 
relates to any future projects, but uh, I'm glad we're in the same mindset in terms of what we want out of our physical activity. Yeah. What if she's starring in Peloton the movie? Uh, <laughs> which seems like a thing we're about three years away from happening. She would know. Lana Condor's career is going way too well for Peloton the movie, I think. That would I'm, have to be a really special script. I'm so excited to see what Lana Condor is going to be doing next. I know that she has quite a lot lined up, but I'm just, I'm very excited and ready emotionally and spiritually for her to become like a world renowned superstar that stars in everything because she deserves it and God. she's wonderful. Also, speaking of relatable with Lana Condor, I love the point in Nancy's interview where she brought up that she had stolen some of the costumes that Laura Jean wears because some of those pieces were iconic and she really deserves them. Oh, my favorite from was that she just stole the jeans. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> it's hard to find a well-fitting pair of jeans. Like, <laughs> Oh, absolutely fair. When I was watching this movie last night, she wears this plain pink sweat sweatshirt and I love pink everything. And... I was, I paused it and I was like, how do I get this sweatshirt? Um, and I just need, like, I, there's, it's, it's like a plain sweatshirt, but there's something about it that I was like frothing at the mouth. I was like, if I don't get this sweatshirt immediately, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> All of the clothes for me that she wears in Korea were just top-notch. Like every single outfit in that montage was perfect. Also, everything they eat. I feel like I, if I were the producer star of a movie, I would just be like, and the first half of it will just be tourist montage of me in like Northern Italy, <laughs> you know? Like, I want to be in that pool that they showed. Like right now, I could just be like bodily teleported into it wearing the sweater that I'm wearing right now and whoever is in that pool right now would be like who the fuck are you but I would be happy to be there <laughs> I was thinking about that show where they slide through the wormholes Jen oh that had Jerry O'Connell in it or something it was like or jumpers or something name? or what? no jumpers, that was the uh, that was sliders. the one with Hayden Christensen yeah sliders sliders that's Some, it yeah sliders I think then, yeah anyway. now that's making I me think of those hamburgers it's jumpers <laughs> <laughs> We're just still hungry thinking about the food sequences. <laughs> Speaking of hunger, I'm going to get breakfast soon. So let's rate to all the boys I've l loved before. Always. Okay. Are we doing the entire... Well, I'll go first and I'll say um, for the entire series, five out of five overall. Like it's just, it's so wonderful. Everything about it is perfect. The... The vibes, impeccable. The cinematography, wonderful. And the main relationship at its core is fabulous. I um, give the first one a six out of five because it's wonderful. Well, I guess I should do uh, uh, six baked goods out of five for the first one because it's just the, per the most perfect movie. I was watching it again this morning and I was just falling in love all over again. In terms of within the series, I probably would give the second one a three out of five because it's the one that I liked the least and I, I never really for someone who's doing a, a love triangle rom-com podcast I don't really like 
love triangle plots much at all. I think that they're kind of overdone and lazy and stressful on me personally, so I don't like them. Um, and then this one, I would give it a four out of five because I did enjoy it, but not as much as the first one, which was hard to beat. I echo your rating, Sadie. I give this last one four uh, trans pride colored bowling shoes out oh, yeah. of five. Well done. But the NYU propaganda is why it's dinged a star. And it's lucky I don't ding it more stars for that or more trans pride colored bowling shoes. But it's it's so charming that it can get away with that. And I hope that Laura Jean, by the time she's 30, discovers that liking New York City is not a personality. I'm sure it will happen. She seems like a smart girl. I'm I'm right in line with you guys. I am going to give this installment a four out of five. I give it four beautiful, enchanting, really fun to watch travel montages, minus one pink sofa on the subway. And I give the whole franchise a five out of five. Classic. Nancy? Nancy, take us home. Okay, this is hard. I'm going to go, okay, wow. Overall, because this Sadie knows this, this franchise as a whole has just been mentally lot to me over the past two years and like the first one was just constantly on loop in our apartment the second one I had a really fun experience seeing it in person with an audience and just this third one has kind of brought it all home so I don't know I think we gotta go five love letters out of five for the whole thing concur it's perfect five love letters we were all idiots we, none of us chose that <laughs> there's even five in the series god damn it just trying to keep it consistent with the number of letters in the film. Oh, I'm getting emotional. I'm I'm just gonna miss the series so much. I mean, not that I can't rewatch it, but yeah, kind of end of an era, right? Yeah. Especially pro- Samantha and I are both just out wandering around as hapless adults looking for snapping turtles at the time all of this was coming out. But like this kind of marks to Sadie, like you went through college while these were playing, right? You know, and oh, the passage of time. Mm-hmm. Hashtag mortality. Our little Sadie is growing up. You could say that these movies raised you, Sadie, more than your own parents who who ignored you and then said, no, don't go to NYU. Made you um, watch Battleship. You know. <laughs> and made me watch Battleship. Just kidding, Sadie's yeah. dad. We love you. We stand Sadie's dad on this podcast. <laughs> but not Sadie's mom. Anti-Sadie's mom <laughs> podcast. Here no. on Podcast USA. Nancy, where can people find your your esteemed work? Oh, I am on Twitter. If you search my name, Nancy Coleman and or Collins, which I might actually change it to since it just has a great ring to it. <laughs> but uh, at Nancy L. Coleman is my main little place where I tweet out dumb thoughts and also occasionally things I write. And if people want to uh, keep you away from them, they can just get a Chili's fajita plate and you're legally required (laughs) to stay 500 feet away from it, right? They could just exactly. create a zone of safety around themselves. Yeah, um, Chili's is a is a Nancy free zone, unfortunately. So now we know we're gathering a Nancy secret every time she guests on this podcast. We know that Nancy is banned from Chili's and that Nancy is traumatized by the arch in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time. Nancy returns. Have you been kicked out of anywhere else or banned anywhere else? <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. Not that I know of, but like, would they tell me? I don't know. Would I just be secretly <laughs> marked your name off of a list? And they're like, if this, they've bitch got comes your photo back, on the wall. We're gonna have some problems. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, do we have to do the normal outro, or since this is an emergency bonus I think we're episode, good. are we just gonna call it there? All right. I think hopefully then our we'll patrons just... will forgive us for not saying their names individually. But yeah, they you should definitely them. go follow us on Twitter as well, um, at YSSTOG, where we also like to tweet out thoughts, and Samantha likes to tweet out hilarious snippets of uh, things that we say, and also songs that she has produced featuring the vocals of Sadie. <laughs> and <laughs> you can also email us at YSSTOGpodcast at gmail.com, which we do not check very often, but it's super, super hype to receive an email at when we do check it or you could come join us on our exclusive discord for our patrons of this podcast at patreon.com slash y-s-s-t-o-g awesome sadie take us home i never get sick <laughs> of that i love seeing sadie. the actual sadie, sadie recording what? line just stay angrily like quiet while this is playing of darkness <laughs> is glitter and vibes <laughs> Glitter and vibes. And I'm Sadie. Glitter and vibes. And I'm Sadie. Will you go to San Francisco with me? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs>